What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Milner, and this episode was absolute fire. It is. It was an. It was an interview that I was really excited to do. I brought my boy Cody McBroom, Cody Boom Boom McBroom, onto the show. Uh, dude is just a wealth of knowledge about really everything. Like there was, I was excited because we could have literally talked about any aspect of fitness, nutrition, training, and we just kind of went with the conversation. We talked about mindset. We talked about the art of coaching. We talked about education. We got deep into nutrition. Like. Cody dropped a ton of knowledge bombs. I think you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. And if you do, please give us a shout on Instagram. So tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And Cody is at Cody dot boom boom. Um, so just take a screenshot, share it to your stories, tag us both. And if you can leave us a five star rating and review on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it. And enjoy this episode with Cody boom boom McBroom. All right, guys, I am super pumped for this interview right now because it's probably long overdue. I feel like we've been just like somebody that I've respected for a long time. Uh, we connected, I don't know, it's been maybe like six or seven months ago, probably longer than that. But um, I've actually been following Cody for a long time. The king of content is probably the best way to describe him. Uh, so Cody, boom, boom. Welcome to the show. Thank you, man. And I appreciate the nickname. I love, uh, I do love content. And yeah, man, it's been a minute. I think the first time we truly connected was actually Portland. Yeah. I think at Thib's event. Yeah. And then and then some of the masterminds of Jason and stuff. So it's that was probably about a year ago, man. So Isn't it's, it's that been long? a it's been a yeah, it's been a while, man. But likewise, dude, I really respect what you do and, and it's an honor to be here, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. I had to throw out the boom boom because how many people actually know your last name is McBroom? Is it like <laughs> <laughs> uh you know it's like I think it's actually for another thing, but I don't even know if it's on my Instagram <laughs> profile. But uh, it, it's kind of funny because people who like are really close to me, like family and stuff, they obviously just call me Cody. And when we see people that know me through business and they call me Boom Boom, the people that have known me kind of look at me funny, like what the hell? But a lot of people just they just refer to me as Boom Boom, and it's kind of funny, man. But um, my nickname, my last name is McBroom, and that's where the boom boom came from. So there's a reason for it all. Yeah, it, it kind of works, though. It became like almost a branding thing where like there's recognition there when you hear boom boom performance or boom boom elite or whatever you've got going on, like it connects. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's funny because so my it, he actually mentioned this in his best man speech at my wedding recently. Um, he told the guy, like I, there was a bunch of people there that know me from the old gym days and stuff. Um, and everybody just assumes I created boom, boom. My, my brother's the original, the originator of that. And so he called me out in front of everybody. It was funny. He was like, I'm actually the original boom, boom. He took that from me, but he got that nickname in soccer. And then I made varsity. So I played with him cause he's older than me. And they started calling us both boom, boom. And then when I started the fitness stuff, uh, somebody in the gym was like, you should just call it. I actually think it might've been Luca. He, he was like, you should just call it boom, boom performance. And I was like, dude, that's it. And it stuck. And like you said, man, it's just one of those names where like, it's kind of a funny name, but there's a lot of people who I respected in the industry that only knew me or talked to me because they thought like, what the hell? Like, boom, boom. Like it's a, it's a clever name. So I got into conversations and people don't forget that. So, um, it's, it's definitely paid off. That's funny. I like the history behind it too. And you probably, you know, with your brother, maybe you can negotiate a good royalty deal on the name. Uh, (laughs) Thankfully he hasn't requested anything yet. (laughs) That's good. Uh, so, 
kind of going down that path, uh, I want to get some background on because I've heard your story a couple of times and I just love to start every show with, uh, I think it's awesome how people in the space who are doing what we do, we all have our unique path of getting to where we are and just there's always a personal experience that really lights that fire or, you know, ignites that passion in us. And, you know, I want to get into to kind of your story. Um, there's, I'm excited about this because you're so well versed in so many different areas, and I want to know kind of where that came from. How uh, you just became so passionate about the education side of things, and wanting to know, like, you know, we could go nutrition, we could go training, we could talk business, we could talk supplement. Like, there's literally any direction. So, um, just start with kind of how that all came to be, and and how it all got started for you. Yeah, man. Um, so, I mean, to to not make the story too long. I, I grew up the chubby kid and, uh, training just was not in my world, man. I just, I actually didn't step foot in a gym legitimately until I was almost 19 years old. And I started training people at 19. So it literally was like, I, I went from doing nothing but soccer and skateboarding. And that kept, kept me like, at the point where I was still the chubbiest kid on the team, but I was good enough to hang. And then uh, I hit high school, hit a growth spurt, started losing weight just naturally as, as most men do. And they kind of genetics and puberty hit really. And, uh, and then I tore my meniscus, had surgery, gained weight, came back to play soccer, started losing, tore my ACL on the same leg, gained more weight. And then I graduated high school at my heaviest and least athletic. And just honestly, I don't want to, I'm not, wasn't clinically depressed, but definitely my lowest point right? Just no drive, no motive, not really happy with where I was going, no clue of what I was going to do. Um, and I was going to community college for business just because my dad was like, Hey, you got to do something. This is what I did. I'm going to send you here. And I hated it, man. I skipped class all the time, like partied and just, just was kind of going through life without direction until I finally just had a hard look at myself in the mirror and was just like, dude, I'm just, I'm just tired of it. Like I started noticing stretch marks for the first time. And that's when I was like, this has got to change. So I started training, um, in all the wrong ways as most of us do. Uh, tried the bodybuilding stuff, tried the boot camp circuit style stuff. I tried every diet you could possibly think of that was not intelligent or individualized, just what I could find in a magazine or at the time on bodybuilding.com and stuff like that. And, uh, I kept kind of yo-yoing, man. I'd like lose weight, gain it, lose weight, gain it. And it wasn't until I actually decided to change my degree um, from the influence of a mentor, Tim Vagan, who knew a lot of big names in the industry. So I didn't know who they were at the time, but he kind of brought me in. I started going to his class, started mentoring with him at his gym. And he brought me around Charlie Weingroff, Greg Cook, Mike Boyle, Todd Durkin, Martin Rooney, uh, Alan Cosgrove, like some of the biggest names back then, man. And he was in that world. So I just naturally learned from people like Dan John and all these great names and um, education was the path. So I started going to school for health and fitness. And it's actually a personal fitness development program at the community college, which was ranked, I want to say it was top three in the nation by Livestrong, which was really cool at the time. And uh, yeah, dude, it just, it just kind of started evolving from there. And I really wasn't into nutrition at all, to be honest with you. At first it was all training. So I lost a ton of weight. I lost about 50 pounds and started building muscle. And I started learning about periodization and movement patterns and um, athletic training and started interning for a guy named Luca Hosevar. And the training thing was just everything to me. I, at the time, ate intuitively. I actually did intermittent fasting. That was what worked for me back then because I worked a, a day. I went to school, worked a job at Rite Aid and interned for free and then trained late at night. It's kind of one of those things you're busy all day, eat a meal, train, and then eat 
2000 calories in a sit- sitting was perfect for me at the time. Um, I didn't understand that there was a caloric balance aspect to it, but at the time it worked. Right. And, uh, it wasn't until I think I was 21 or 22, I did my feet first physique competition. And that was when I f- was first introduced to macros and somebody took my diet and put numbers to it. And all of a sudden I got absolutely shredded for stage. And it was like the most fascinating thing. Um, after stage, I didn't have that coach gained all the way back, had to understand what a reverse diet was before reverse dieting was popular. Um, and that kind of started teaching me more about hormones and metabolism and what's really going on here. Um, and the mental side of things. I mean, for lack of better terms, it really fucked with me, man. I, I mean, I got literally shredded and it became my identity to be that guy. And then I gained it all back and I didn't even want to look in the mirror. So now I'm, I'm really starting to dig into these other paths. I ended up going on a entrepreneurial retreat. Um, it wasn't wake up warrior. It was very similar. And I later on went through wake up warrior, but like over this time, man, I just kind of started noticing like a few things. Number one, the only way I could enjoy the process of any of this was the education. If I focused on learning and the information and really gravitating towards that, I stopped focusing on so hard on the end result. It actually gave me relief and less stress and less anxiety about the progress I was making. Um, I learned that every mentor and, and trainer and coach and nutritionist that worked with me at the time, they all taught me things. And it was those things that I took over the years that helped me develop some, such better results for my clients. Um, and then I also realized that I, I really couldn't focus on one thing. Like, like you said earlier, man, there was there were supplements involved, there was nutrition involved, there was training involved, and there was definitely a heavy mindset piece involved. So I think over the years, I just like started putting all these things together. Like number one, education is the thing that allows me to adhere best. Number two, I need guidance from other individuals to keep me accountable. And, and number three, it there's so much more than just one thing. Like at first it was just training for me until just training didn't work. And then it was just nutrition until just nutrition didn't work and so on and so forth. So I kind of put all these things together and that's, that's what really led me down the path of just like, I guess, like I always say, like knowledge is forever, man. It's the only thing that we can, like, it's infinite, you know, you can just keep educating yourself. Um, and now I am where I am today, man, is like, uh, I have a business that is driven off of content because I just absolutely love creating content for people to learn more and just educate individuals. And I think that's really what it comes down to, man. I know that was kind of like a weird rant of an answer, but I think it's just like, Throughout my journey, and like I try to tell people this, is I've just learned that if you engulf yourself in the process of education, I truly believe not only will you be more compliant and inherent and consistent, but it takes your mind off that end result. And if people live in that end result, dude, it just creates anxiety. So true, man. And it's a powerful story. It's actually our, our stories are very similar in like all the stuff that we've tried and kind of how we – uh, the takeaways from past experiences and then how you end up being like a well-rounded, um, you know, client and coach, because I know we both are on both sides of that. Um, but talking about how you learn through your experiences that, you know, first it was training, then it was nutrition. And, you know, you, you got into the mindset side of things and each experience kind of led you down a different path of education, um, using that as kind of the foundation of what you do now and what you coach now. Um, now, how do you balance the fact that, when you apply education that we always have to look at individual context. So just because something is optimal or just because a study shows that, you know, 
this amount of volume was ideal for this group of people um, to then be able to take that and say, well, how does this actually apply to the individual? Um, knowing that, you know, the answer is always it depends when we're talking about like, you know, as a coach and we're talking to our clients. Um, but that balancing act between practical application, that optimal doesn't always mean practical. And, you know, how do you how do you kind of work that into your coaching practice and working with clients? It's funny, Matt. I think I, I annoy people by how often I say it depends, <laughs> but and you just said it too. But it's so true, man. I actually remember in school with a guy named Tim Vega that I was talking about. Um, I used to get frustrated as a student because he would always say it depends. And I'm like, man, I just want an answer. And that's the thing is like there is never one answer. And I think as trainers and coaches and, and nutritionists, like at the beginning, it's very hard because we hear a, a study and we think in absolutes. So we want to give it to everybody. Like I mentioned I used to do intermittent fasting quite a bit. I don't now, but that was like the first thing that really clicked and worked for me from a lifestyle perspective. So there was research to back it up at the time. I mean, really, it was more theory and anecdote back then because there was no good intermittent fasting research. And now we know it's just a way to control calories. But it worked for me. I read all these other people that were doing it from the warrior diet to eat, stop, eat. And Jason Frucci had the renegade diet and all these things. And I was like, these guys are doing it. I'm doing it. My boss is doing it. We're all doing it. It's working. I'm going to give this to all my clients. It's just, this is the diet that works. And I had like a 90% fail rate. And I was like, where's the missing link? And it was just like, people are hungry in the morning. So they don't want to adhere to it. And I'm like, okay, well, there you go. Lifestyle application does not work in that realm. Right? So I think Number one, I think it was, I had to go through the personal experience of failing with clients almost to learn that not everything is in absolutes. And you brought up volume and that's another really good, uh, good one to kind of grab onto and use as this application or this example. There's like a, st the recent study that came out not too long ago, I think it was Brad Schoenfeld and maybe James Krieger, but I can't remember who else was partnered with him on it, but it was like 40 to 45 sets per muscle per week. Like, Please, somebody listening to this, program that, do that, and, and reach out to me and tell me it works because that's so much volume. Like, you're just going to be smashed. Um, so, I think that, like, we have to remember that context is, is king. So, if we look at a research study, they are controlling all aspects. So, are these college students who don't work? Are they on summer break and don't even have school? Can, can they control their sleep? Do they not? Are they married? Or do they have kids? Like if we eliminate all other stresses and put somebody through 40 sets per muscle group per week and put them in a caloric surplus and get eight to nine hours of sleep, it's probably the best way to build a lot of muscle. But in reality, how many people have wife and kids, have school, have jobs, have other stresses, don't get eight to nine hours of sleep because it's very rare, probably aren't in a surplus because most people are afraid to eat more than maintenance to gain muscle for a period of time. Um, and I know you know how that is. It's tough. Like so if we implement all those factors, like that 40 becomes like 20, maybe as like a high end. And then also too, like, um, actually I was talking to Chris Bearcat about this good friend of mine the other day, and they're getting ready to try to run a study, I think with Brad Schoenfeld actually. Um, and we can't talk about it too, but they can't talk about it too much. I'm not part of it, but, um, it sounds like what they're going to do is, is try to control that a little bit more because if we take people who like, if you jump volume to 40, on a grand level, it's going to show increases in muscle mass no matter what, because if it's a short-term study, that's not long enough to create enough stress to cause any issues. And no matter what, we're increasing volume. But are they increasing volume from 10 sets per week to 40, 20 to 40, 30 to 40, 35 to 40? So it's all, it's all different. So really, they're going to do a study that shows like 
you have to add this many sets per week per muscle group compared to what you're already doing. So it's not going to be 40 across the board. It's going to be adding five to 10 sets per muscle group per week for all these individuals. Um, and this is the cool thing about research. So taking that example again, they did a study, they saw a result like increased volume leads to, to growth. But if you talk to the researchers, they're not saying that's like indefinite, right? It's not absolute. So now they have to extract that and go, okay, what are all the things wrong with it? Let's break this down more. Um, so I think for me, man, like going back to the main question, um, cause I have a problem with ranting going on tangents. I think like, I always try to look at things like if I was doing that study on myself or on, on an individual, what would need to change in order for it to be applicable? Like what factors does my client or myself have that probably aren't in that study? Because most average individuals or even trained individuals for that matter, don't participate in studies because now you have to be like, Hey, I need you to sleep this much, ignore your family. Uh, you got to take a break from work. Like we're going to control your entire diet and we're going to change your training. So either a, you have a life and you're like, no, or B you're a bodybuilder or somebody into training. You're like, dude, you're not controlling my diet and my training. Cause I I'm in a, I'm in a rhythm, right? I'm in a flow. So it's so hard. Like, I think people just need to understand that we can take these things and extract lessons and, uh, thought processes from it, but nothing can be absolute. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that's the, the best way to apply Like looking at your own lifestyle, looking at your own individual context where like even just a simple example, like your intermittent fasting example, you know, if I'm somebody and I, and I see, oh, all these people are having success with intermittent fasting, but how does that work with my schedule? How does that work with my life? Do I, you know, can I start to tune in internally and know that when I wake up, I'm really freaking hungry. So that's probably not going to be the best for me. Or on the flip side of that, like you talked about your schedule at the time, it just set up nicely to do that. So um, applying it to yourself and, and I'm all for, you know, experimenting. I've, I've tried pretty much everything. And like we talked about in the beginning, each experience is just another lesson. It's just another tool you're adding to the tool belt. And um, I think we become, you know, a lot of people want to find the answer. They want to find like, you know, just like you said, when you were in class, you're like, just tell me what it is. You hated the it depends response. And now we say that all the time. But it's true, because we want to think that there's just one blanket statement that's going to solve you know, all of these issues when the reality is it's just a lot of work and a lot of consistency over a long period of time. And it takes longer than we'd like it to. And um, there's really not like this, this flashy, you know, sexy answer to it. It's really just being consistent with the basics. So at the root of everything, we have to look at adherence and sustainability. And if we can, can process everything through that filter, then the answers start to become a little bit more clear, if that makes sense. Yeah, dude, I think that's actually perfect. Like, like you just said it right there, like looking at it through that filter is the best way for people to think about it. Because I always I, I love I mean, I'm part of like three different research reviews. I like my I, like I said, my friend Chris Barrica, he publishes research. So I'm always texting him and asking him like questions and what's coming out. He does my nutrition. So I love reading into that stuff. But I always take something. And then I again, like you said, I put it through a filter. And I first ask like, hey, what is your schedule like? Like you said, intermittent fasting worked great for me because my schedule allowed it. Now it doesn't. I wake up hungry. Why is that? Probably because my next point, stress. Where is your stress levels at? For me, like I have a high stress lifestyle now. My cortisol is probably higher than normal. So I actually have, like fasting would probably make that problem worse. So I'm going to supply myself with nutrients in the morning to avoid that high cortisol constantly going throughout the day. Where at the time I was living at home with my parents, I was going to school I didn't have a real job because I was an intern. So I was training people for free. Like it was the perfect setup. All I did is study and I would work at Rite Aid for money like a few days a week 
I could care less about my job at Rite Aid. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there was no stress. I don't know if they have a Rite Aid wherever you are listening, but that's like a, a CVS or a Walgreens or, or a local pharmacy. Um, but like those two things are the biggest thing. Like what is your lifestyle and your schedule like? What are your current stressors like? And then can you apply the information? Because going back to the, the volume thing, okay, more volume equals more growth. Assuming you can fit it in your schedule and your stress levels can handle it. Doesn't 40 is not what you should grab onto. 40 sets per week is not what you should grab onto. Being able to handle more volume is what you should grab onto. So for some people, that means 10 sets per week. Some people, it means 15. The point is, is like, hey, let's adjust our, and organize our schedule. Let's manage our stress so that we can add volume to grow, period. And you can start with the minimal effective dose. Like I think, and I think going through that type of process with every aspect of like cool new research or things coming out, I think is the best way to go. Yeah, for sure. And and then there's the issue of sometimes our perception is not aligned with reality. And I'm bringing this up because you just did a post about this, which was spot on when you're talking about, you know, I may think that it'd be really cool for me to walk around shredded 24 seven. Like in my head, that's a great concept. I want that. Mm-hmm. I want to have abs 24 seven all, you know, all throughout the year. But then when you actually look at what you need to go through, the sacrifices that you need to make, and, you know, I'm somebody who likes to be social. I like to go out with my friends. I like to have a few drinks on the weekend. Now, all of a sudden, that reality is a little bit misaligned with my perception of, you know, can I actually, or do I really want this? Like, is it worth it for me? Some people, the answer might be yes, and that's great. But I think just having the information to know that, look, if you want to be like stage lean, you need to be compliant like 99.9% of the time. If you just want to be like lifestyle lean and this, you know, pointing to your post that you made, uh, you know, you have a little bit more flexibility. There's a little bit more wiggle room there and you can actually think about things like, you know, how how many times do I want to, you know, have an alcoholic beverage or how many times do I want to go out to eat and, and that. So can you just talk about that process of like creating that awareness for people around what, you know, it's great to have goals, but then making sure that we understand what the sacrifices that go along with that entail. Yeah, man. I think this is like where coaches need to step up and really practice authenticity. Like you and I are talking about this and we'll be real with clients. Like, hey, you can do that, but you're not going to be shredded 24-7. But do you really want to be 20, shredded 24-7? Whereas some people paint a picture as if you can get to a certain goal and they expect this rigidness, um, which is not reality, man. Like, so – a couple good examples for me personally. I, so like one, I have experienced every aspect of that. I've done a lot of photo shoots. I've maintained like a generally lean physique and I've also got on stage. So I've experienced like the 99% on point, the 90% on point and the 80, 20 rule kind of thing. Um, I didn't like how I felt when I was stage lean, but I was happy. I accomplished that goal. So I see a lot of people do these like happy, hungry transformation things, you know, and it's like, Oh, I'm hungry. And like, you don't need, and I'm like, well, I was at that point, but I I never regretted it for a second. Like I got fucking shredded and it was a very valuable lesson and a very cool experience for me. So I don't want to like not encourage people to do that. If that is something you want to achieve, I'm obsessed with physique, bodybuilding performance, stuff like that. So it was something I wanted to achieve. Most people, you stay in that like 90%, 80% range. Um, But another piece of that is like, I just did a photo shoot and I purposely didn't get absolutely shredded because I wanted to accomplish like lifestyle lean. I wanted to show people like, hey, like this, I can maintain this, this level of leanness. I've had wine every single week because I love wine. Like I'm a wino. I've had a date night every single week. We actually did Shannon's birthday the week before my photo shoot and did like, uh, what is that place? The cheese fondue place, the melting, melting pot. pot yeah. 
and it was, it was delicious. And it was like, were my macros on point that night? No. Did I track to try to get them within range? Yes, it worked. I still got pretty damn lean for this photo shoot. And I think like, that's where people need to understand and, and, and ask yourself, like, what do you really want? Because I know for me, man, like, even if I'm like really lean and I look in the mirror and I'm like, damn, I'm shredded. I don't walk around with my shirt off. I don't like who does like I'm an adult at home. I wear a shirt most days. Like, and even when I take it off, it's just me and my wife and she could give a fuck if I have shredded abs anyway. So like, I think people need to kind of go through that thought process of like, how lean do you actually want to get? And what do you actually want to sustain? What's important to you? For me, like I do want to see my abs, but I don't need veins across them. And, and having that conceptualized idea of what I want and then going, okay, this is the goal I'm going to chase. What do I need to do to get there? The reality for most people is, is they actually do need to follow kind of like a 90-10 rule to get there. Like 90% of your food should be pretty whole food. You should track your macros. Maybe you drink alcohol one night a week. Um, it, it's restrictive because the definition of a caloric deficit or a diet is restriction. Just because you're flexible with your diet and you fit in wine doesn't mean you're not restricting anything. You're restricting calories from yourself. That's part of it. So I think people need to find this common ground, right? You don't need to be so unbelievably rigid, but you can't remove all restriction because restriction builds discipline and a deficit. And that leads to fat loss. Once you get to that goal, and I usually say like, if it'll take you four months, plan for six, because it's always smarter to have more time. Once you get to that goal, then you can kind of shift to like an 80-20 rule, right? So like, I, long story short, I had surgery, gained some weight, lost some muscle, got myself in probably the worst shape I've been, which what can you do? I was on crutches for three months, had knee surgery just five months ago, six months ago. And I set a goal while I was on crutches, like I'm going to do a photo shoot. So obviously I had like a 90-10 rule definitely applied for me to get there. But now I'm going to maintain this weight. I'm going to reverse diet pretty slowly because my biofeedback's not shit. I can take it slow with that. And I'm following an 80-20 rule. I'm being more flexible. Like if I have two meals one day because I need to fit more calories at night, like so be it. Like, But that's, I think, the process. So kind of like dissecting what I just said, I think for people need to understand realistic terms, they need to have a discussion with their coach probably and with themselves of what that looks like, what they actually want and why they want it. Determine how restrictive they need to be to get there. And then understand that there is that restriction. And then afterwards, it'll probably be easier to maintain that. So kind of shifting from like a 90-10 to 80-20 afterwards, very rarely does anybody need to be in that like stage 99% on point, 1% flexible standpoint that I, that I mentioned in that post. Very, very rarely, unless, and this is like the, the biggest emphasis to finish it off, you like the sport. I see so many people set the goal of getting on stage because they think that's going to get them to the point they want to be. It's like, no, 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 no. If you like the sport, do the sport of bodybuilding. I enjoyed the sport, so I did the sport. I'll never do it again, to be honest with you, but I enjoy the sport of bodybuilding, so I set that goal. But nobody should set the goal of getting on stage unless like, they actually enjoy bodybuilding as a sport. Yeah, it's so true. I've seen people kind of lean into that disordered behavior around eating and, and training um, and using competing as a way to kind of you know, almost like exacerbate all of those issues. But I love what you said about the responsibility on coaches and educators to paint the realistic picture because it has become almost like a glorified thing like look i can stay this lean all year round and it's almost effortless and then you know they're trying to sell somebody into a program that um it's just you know they're going to end up frustrated and disappointed so i think you know just having that conversation and then um 
we're just in, the, it's just a, a funny time in this space because there's so much access to information and there's so many people that like you're looking through Instagram, you're looking on Facebook and you're just naturally comparing yourself to, you know, other people or, you know, influencers that you aspire to look like. And, and then you have the access to information for like, I want to learn about hormones. I want to learn about gut health or whatever, like buzzwords going around and you could just end up going through all these different rabbit holes and there's a ton of distractions. So uh, kind of where I'm going with this is how do you keep somebody with that almost like blinders on where there's nothing wrong with wanting to educate yourself, but when you do kind of go down these different rabbit holes, it might end up being more of a distraction or you have somebody who's like, all right, well, I like the plan that we're on, but I just read this article about how fasting is the best thing for you know cell autophagy, so should we be doing this, right? And then they start to distract themselves from what actually matters, which is the process. So um, can you just talk through that a little bit about, you know, from like a comparison standpoint, from seeing, you know, this glorification of being shredded all the time and then having just so much access to information almost kind of distracting from the important things. Yeah. Um, I think like as far as being shredded all the time, I think there's a few things to consider. Number one, genetics. This is like the, the, the elephant in the room nobody wants to address. Like there's just certain people, they just stay that lean because they're genetically gifted. And you're probably not whoever you are listening to this because 1% of people are. I'm not genetically gifted. So like I'll, I'll be the first to tell people like, hey – if you see this picture of me, one of two things, one, I'm not absolutely shredded and I do maintain this all the time, but I really do practice a 90, 10 rule. I pr- track my macros every fucking day. I only drink alcohol once a week and I train six days a week. Like if you can't commit to that, like maybe this isn't what you're going to achieve. And I'll just be upfront about that. Option two, I'm absolutely shredding this picture. I took this picture along with a hundred others one single day, and I will not be this shredded for the rest of the year. And I think that's something for people to realize too, is that's the most common thing. Now, this recent photo shoot I've done, I haven't got the shots back. I don't know when this airs, but I'm going to be posting some too. And I got pretty lean, but you can tell I'm not like ridiculously shredded. And my point with that is, is like, I have another shoot in October. Like I'm going to maintain this, right? Like it's just, just part of it. But again, what does it take to maintain this? I think that's the thing people forget to like coaches and influencers and educators forget to shed light on that because it's misleading when you just post a picture and you're like, Oh, I maintain this. And it's like, okay, you maintain this, but you sleep this much. You don't have this much stress. You, you track your macros every single day. You only drink once a week. If that you train hard, whatever it may be. So I think being realistic with people, right? Like I, I know people that stay shredded who are completely sober, completely different game. I know people who don't have any kids or a wife, they stay pretty shredded. They also sleep nine hours a night and they have very little stress. I'll be the first one to say like, I don't stay shredded, but I stay lean. However, I have a very OCD schedule. I train six days a week. I have a gym in my garage. I do track my macros every day. I eat fairly like quote unquote clean. I drink only once a week. You know what I mean? Because that's what it takes for me to be able to stay this lean while having a kid, having a wife, having a business. Like, so I think there's like this give and take like you, you brought it up before, like the sacrifices required in order to see that success, right? That's a good way to look at it. Like, okay, this person stays that lean year round. What are the sacrifices they're making to stay that lean year round? Can I make those sacrifices too? And if it's not too big of a stress for me to do so, you could probably achieve it too. So being more realistic with those things. And then the obvious, like just stop comparing yourself, right? That whole quote, the comparison is the thief of joy. It's my favorite quote because it's, it's very hard to do. But I think it's really important to just stop looking at other people and assuming that it kind of puts yourself down because of it. I purposely unfollowed a lot of people and a lot of things. And just because I was like, man, this is just, it's 
creating comparison for me. And as business owners, you know this too, it's hard not to do that with other people's businesses even. And you compare. And I would say this year, 2019 has been my most influential year because I really eliminated distractions in comparison with a lot of people. The the other business owners I stay connected to and stuff, like they're usually my friends and we like you and I, uh, Sam Miller, Jordan Duggar, Jason Phillips, like a lot of these people that I talk to on a regular basis, I feel comfortable not comparing myself to them. So it's easy for me to engage with them. But when you start comparing yourself to something or somebody too much, like it's hard, it, it's a good thing to kind of just remove yourself from that situation. Um, and then the last point of that is, is you're basically leading to information overload, right? Like I battle with this too, because I create so much content that I'm like, I don't want to condone information overload. So what I try to really focus on with like clients at least, and this is my recommendation for people who tend to get that or program hop, diet hop, coach hop, things like that. Number one, I think you should stick with a coach for a while and you should have a coach that is willing to do communication with you pretty frequently. The reason being is because it's somebody that you can constantly go, hey, I just read this. What do you think about this? And they can shut you down. <laughs> like, because that's what's needed, right? It's like, hey, I saw this new study or hey, what about this? And they're just like, nope, nope, nope stay on the path, stay on the path, stay on the path. And you need that to see fruition with what you're doing. Um, the other piece of that is, is learning more about the adaptation process. Everything in life requires adaptation to see results, right? If we're talking about our brain, our business, our relationships, our body physically from muscle to fat loss, to calories, to training, to strength, everything requires progressive overload in a sense and adaptation. So I always look at like in life, we have to periodize so we can plan for progressive overload slowly challenge ourselves more and actually be patient enough to allow adaptation to occur. If you don't allow adaptation to recur, you're never going to see if anything works. And the reality is, is like it takes time for shit to work. So you should plan on following everything or, or waiting at least a few weeks after every adjustment inside like the macro world. But on a larger scale, like if you're tracking macros, you're going to go that route of like a high carb approach, let's say. Stick with it for three or four months and see what happens. If you're going with a low-carb, high-fat approach, stick with it for three or four months. If you're starting a new training program, stick with it for three or four months. And I think like training, especially people want to change stuff so frequently. And it's like, where's progressive overload built into that, that plan? So I think if people can step back and go, let me like educate myself on the idea of adaptation. And I think people can buy into that process more. Um, and as an example, like I don't, I say this with caution because I don't want it to lead people to compare. But if you look at other people who are successful, who maybe you have compared yourself to or you idolize or look at, most of those people practice exactly what we're talking about. Like a good example is Matt Ogus. The dude is naturally gifted, obviously. He's jacked. If you ask him how long he's been training, it's like a decade. How long you've been tracking macros? A decade. How long did you spend gaining before you decided to cut two years? It's like, oh shit, like he really follows a program. And if you look at his, his training, it's very boring. It's same shit every week, <laughs> progressive overload, progressive overload. Right. So I think, um, I just think it's, it's just tried and true, right? Periodize plan, progressive overload, and just allow adaptation to occur. Yeah. So many gems in there, but, um, I think that from a coach's standpoint, we tend to, you know, and I was definitely this way when I first got into coaching, it was like, I just wanted to make changes for the sake of change because I wanted the client, like this was, I was brand new to coaching and I wanted the client to be like, you know, oh, he's actually doing something for me. When really the best course of action was just to let what we were doing play out. Like you said, adaptation takes time. Progress takes time. Like it's always going to take long. And I love what you said about, you know, whatever your goal is, like add some time on top of that because you want to have that cushion for the fact that, 
you just have to be patient. You have to be in it for the long game. Um, but I know that that was definitely one of the early lessons that I learned as a coach was that change for the sake of change doesn't help anybody. And then from a client perspective, you know, there's like shiny new object syndrome. And it's definitely true when it comes to training. I think it applies to nutrition. Like, you know, we see just any sort of like, you know, keto becomes popular, kind of dies out a little bit. Now it's popular again. Then you've got like carnivore diet and you've got all these different things where, you know, people in your circle might be trying these things and you're like, I well, I, you know, so-and-so lost five pounds in a week. Like, should I be doing that? And it's just, you know, being able to drown out that noise. And part of that process, which you mentioned, which is like one of the most powerful things that we have at our disposal, which not many people realize is that we have total control over our environment, what we consume, who we follow, how does that make you feel when you look at that person who's shredded 24-7? If you feel shitty about yourself, you should probably unfollow them. Uh, and I know it's like easier said than done because you know it might be a friend or it might be a coworker, it might even be a family member and you're like, I'm not gonna unfollow them. But the reality is that you have to protect your own energy and you know, mindset is really the biggest hurdle that people have to get over. And if you are constantly in that comparison trap, if you're constantly being distracted by you know, the next best thing and you can't stay consistent, you have to look at how how have you set up your environment, the people that you surround yourself with, the information that you consume, and just be very protective of that and intentional about it. Especially if you have you know goals that you want to accomplish, uh, it's got to be you know we got to be in it for the long haul. Um, so that's a great point. And I think, dude, so many so many good things in there that I just want to like kind of just just echo real quick before we move on to the next thing is like I can't remember the exact quote, but Charles Paul Quinn has a really funny quote, but it's very true, and he says like. Uh, basically like you are what you consume, like you said, but he said like, nobody is forcing food into your mouth. Like nobody's putting that in your mouth, like, but you are a result of what you eat. Um, and I think like a lot of people, this is like mind boggling to some people that are, it's such a simple habit, but people will be like, Oh, I just like, I can't stop eating these things when I'm at my house. And I'm like, Hey, throw away. Well, I don't want to waste food. It's like, throw it away. Like just remove the toxic thing in your environment. Um, and I, and I think like, so if I go back, like going back to my story way back, man, like when I was 19, I started interning with Luca, Luca Hosevar at Vigor Ground. And I surrounded myself with him, Tim Vega, and all these other people that were in this industry. And I literally removed almost everything in my life at the moment because it was pulling me towards partying and drugs and skateboarding and, and being lazy and eating shitty food. And I was like, okay, let me remove myself from all these things and just kind of go go turkey on the friends that were pulling me down a bad path, the environments and the places that were leading me down a bad path. And I'm just going to surround myself with these people. And it changed my life. It allowed me to build these habits and do these things. And it goes back to what you're saying, man. Like you are what you surround yourself with, but that's a choice. No, like people who are lights or going to uplift you don't force themselves into your life to help you. You have to force yourself into their lives so they can help you. And so only way to do that. Um, and then the last thing I will say, just cause I think coaches listening to this, if there are any coaches listening to this, they have to like, I did this too. A weekly update does not mean weekly adjustment. And like, I see a lot of coaches just adjusting just to adjust and some of my most successful clients are the ones that are very patient and they're okay just checking in and they understand the value inside of accountability. So they know that if I don't even touch their diet for eight weeks, it doesn't matter to them. What matters to them is that they're getting results and they're getting results because they're getting accountability to keep them consistent with the last adjustment we made, which is still working, which as you know, in an ideal world, the less adjustments I have to make, the better really. 
but it's it's cool and it's sexy and it's fun to tweak and adjust and and we think clients expect us to so we do it and that was a big lesson for me and the more comfortable I got in my coaching career the more comfortable and confident I felt not adjusting a plan. Yeah, for sure. And it actually made me a better coach. I don't know if you experienced this too, because now I had to communicate exactly why we're not adjusting yeah. and get that buy-in of like, oh yeah, I actually have to be consistent and patient with this instead of like almost the anticipation of weekly adjustments mean that I'm going to make like, you know, exponential progress every single week. It's like, you know what? Some days the scale average is going to be the same. Some days like your biofeedback might not be where we want it to. And then we can look at, you know, an adjustment. But, you know, just being able to communicate that it is a long game, that we have to be patient, that sometimes doing nothing is the best course of action. I don't mean, you know, literally doing nothing, but just like, you know, following the basics and checking the boxes that we have laid out and doing that for a long period of time and letting that process, the adaptation process, you know, run its course. Sometimes progress is boring. And I think being okay with that is a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, so I put this in my new ebook and I stole it from somebody else, but it was like, it was for training specifically, but I think it can be applied to everything. It was like a, it was a a pie chart and it had 80% being the dominant said slow, uh, slow progress, barely adding any weight, but you are getting better. And then it was like 10% is like superhero training. PR city, you're crushing shit in the gym. And then 10% was dog shit. Like you're just feeling like shit and you have horrible training sessions. Like understanding that 80%, the vast majority of training is going to be just mediocre and you're going to make a little progress might not even be noticeable, but you're gaining some muscle, like being okay with that and understanding like every, like once in a while you'll have that 10% superhero PR city training. And sometimes you have shitty training. You just have to be okay with it. But that applies to everything in life. It's like, sometimes it's just that slow, boring progress that we need to double down on. Yeah, for sure. And you talked about your experience with uh, previous mentors that you had and realizing that they've been consistent for a really fucking long time. And I think that all of a sudden when you start controlling what you consume, you stop comparing. Like I know that from watching you and from seeing the content that you put out, I don't compare, you know, how does my business stack up or how do I stack up? I look at here's a dude who just consistently does work every single day to help people, to educate people. Same thing with, you know, all the mentors that I've had. It's been just a perspective shift of like, oh, yeah, it's the same thing that I went through when I was trying to, you know, embark on my fitness journey. It was just consistency over a really long period of time. They show up every day. They put in the work. So I don't have to look at um, comparing myself. I just look at the perspective of like the discipline, the work ethic, the consistency, uh, you know, not rushing the process and just knowing that kind of the same way that I am coaching clients is the same way that I need to coach myself when it comes to my own journey, my own business and that sort of thing. Does that make sense? Absolutely, dude. I, I get questions about uh, content and online coaching all the time. And I always tell people like two things. Number one, I've been writing blogs for free for almost nine years. So like, <laughs> I, I've been doing that consistently for so long. So there's a reason why it's easy for me to write Instagram or newsletters and all these different content because they're just mini blogs. It's actually way easier than a blog. And I used to write blogs so much, not only for my site, but for other sites too. And then on top of that, I tell people like, before I decided to be a coach, I decided to be a content creator. So my original business plan was to have a blog. And my first mentor, the person I entered for was like, how does that make you money? I was like, I, I don't know yet. And he was like, okay, well, work for me and train people for the next five plus years every day. It'll give you experience to create that. And you'll probably understand how that'll make you money by then. And I was like, okay, cool. I trained people in person for six years while writing blogs until I was like, oh, 
maybe I can do online coaching and the blog can actually turn into a profitable business. So that was like my first thing. And then the last thing I'll add to that is uh, the, the whole comparison thing. I remember getting super frustrated way back with training. I was so damn consistent. I was meal prepping. I was so dialed in. And my boss and the couple guys I trained with were more intuitively eating. I, they were way fucking stronger than me. They were way bigger. They were both shredded. Like I was so confused because I was like, man, I trained six days a week. You guys trained four. Like I live, eat and breathe this shit. I'm researching. I'm eating way better than you guys. Everything's dialed in. And he was just like, how long have you been training? And I was like, it's my third year now. And he's like, oh, I've been in here since I was 13. And he was like, oh, 20, probably 27 at the time. Luca, he's like 35 now, I'm sure. But I mean, over a decade, same with the other guy. And, and it was just kind of like, oh, got it. Yeah. Like you've been training 10 years longer than me. Like there's a reason why you look that way, right? And you're stronger. And that was the first time I had to stop and be like, damn, this is a long, this is a long journey. And I don't want to say that for clients to listen and be like, well, fuck, I just want to lose 20 pounds. You tell me I got to do this for a decade. Not at all. But I was also comparing myself to a standard that was so high and I wasn't willing to put in the work that was required. And I think that's like the take home message. Yeah, that's a good, perfect distinction to make. And really all it just comes down to is more reps. Like I always say that with everything in life, you know, somebody's like, well, I'm just not good at X. I'm just not good at, you know, whatever it may be. It's just that you haven't put in the reps yet. Like we, we, we tend to make these blanket statements about ourselves, and we have these, these self-limiting beliefs based off of like either one experience or based off of what somebody once told us. Like I always tell this story where I love to write now, but when I was in high school, I had an English teacher who just told me I wasn't good at writing. So I never wrote. And like for throughout college, it was just like, well, I can't take any writing courses because I suck at writing. And then all of a sudden I was just like, is that actually true? Because of one person's opinion. And now it's like my favorite thing. I can sit and write and just be totally fulfilled writing about stuff that I'm passionate about. And I think I'm pretty good at it now. And like I tell people that when it's like, oh, well, I'm just not good at whatever it may be training. I'm not good at dieting. I'm not whatever. It's like you just haven't put in the reps yet. And you're believing a story based off of something you're telling yourself that is probably not actually rooted in fact. Um, Whatever what you were talking about just sparked that thought, because I think, you know, we kind of make these conclusions without actually going through the experience and actually putting in enough reps or realizing how many reps it takes. Now, there may be somebody who's naturally better that has a head start, but that just means you need to put in more reps to get there, which can be a valuable lesson in and of itself. Like, you know, somebody who, like you talked about, who's just genetically gifted, you know, you may never reach them, but the work that you have to put in, the reps that you have to put in to get there is going to, you know, you know, it's going to make you a better person because you actually have to work harder to get there. Um, So I just wanted to make that point. It's so, so true, dude. And you basically created a false narrative around yourself not being a good writer. And we've all done that. And I think that's like the thing is like we all create false narratives and stories. Um, a really, really powerful book. I like the audiobook better. is called uh, Loving What Is by Byron Katie. And it's very emotional and deep, but it, it teaches you this idea of kind of questioning your own stories and thoughts and, and how you actually project your own judgments onto other people. So you assume people are thinking a certain way, but really it's your own false narrative that you're creating and projecting on others. But she always refers everything back to asking yourself, is that absolutely true? So with you, like, oh, I, I can't take that class because I'm shitty at writing. Well, is that absolutely true? And if you dig back and back and back, you realize like, no, it's because I had a dickhead teacher who just told me that I wasn't good at writing. So I created that false belief and I stopped doing it. So I didn't put in the reps and now I'm not good at it. Right. Um, And it's so many people do that. And then it, it ends up applying to the comparison game without actually looking at the whole picture. So I was actually talking to, I don't know if you know who Kyle Ruth is, but he, he's a coach at Training Think Tank and they work with like 
Noah Olson and some of these like CrossFit competitors that are in the games. Um, and Noah Olson's a great example. He's fucking huge. He's jacked and he's in the CrossFit games. He's obviously very fit and people will diet more specifically than uh, Noah and go to CrossFit classes. And they're like, why aren't I getting jacked? And it's like, Noah gets paid to be an athlete so he can sleep and, and take naps and do all these things. He trains three to four hours a day, like three to four hours a day. That's a lot of fucking volume. And he eats enough food to support that. So people see CrossFit and macros and they assume, why don't I look like Noah? And it's like, well, are you doing the reps that Noah's doing? No, you're not. And you probably don't need to, nor do you want to or desire to, but he is obsessed with being a pro athlete and right, rightfully so. He's, he, I think he got second at the CrossFit games, but the point is, is like, and, and I was talking to Kyle about this cause Kyle trains him and I think Kyle actually works directly with them, but one of those guys does and they work with all these people that want to, they aspire and compare themselves to these people up here. And it's like, you're not doing the reps to get there. And, and I don't think you want to sacrifice that much too. So you really do have to kind of, I don't know, just like reel yourself back in and just reflect on your own life. And it, it, it all boils back down to the same thought of like, just focus on me. Like, I hate the, the word, like, do you, because it sounds like, you know, just weird, like, do you, bro. But you really do. You got to do you. You got to, like, stay in your lane and just focus. And and I think for me, it's it's a skill I actually had to acquire. And I've, I've worked really hard on this. And um, we both know him very well. Jason actually uh, gave me kudos on this literally just the other week. He was like, man, like, one of the most impressive things I've watched with you grow over the last couple of years is that you're really good at just staying in your own lane and just like you putting, putting the horse blinders on, like I said, like, and I just, and I do that. And I think it's such a blessing because does it lead to success? Yes. Because you can stay in your lane and focus on one thing, but more than that, it creates a different sense of, of uh, self-worth because I don't have that comparison. Like I'm just focused on me. So I'm better than I was yesterday at being a father, a husband, a business owner uh, in fitness and stuff like that. And that makes me happy. Um, kind of a little rant, but I think it's just, I think like we can talk nutrition, training, all these things, but like if people don't get that first, like all the other stuff's going to be way harder. It's so true. So true. You need to get that piece in place before any of the other stuff matters. I always talk about it from like an inside out approach. Like you want, you have an external goal. That's great. We could do that. It doesn't matter what that is. If it's building muscle, if it's losing fat, if it's performing better, but like we're going to take the inside out approach because that's going to actually make it sustainable versus trying to ignore everything that's going on internally and just trying to force that external goal on you. We might get there, but it won't be very long lived. Like eventually um, yeah. you're going to get distracted. Uh, and I think that, you know, to your point, just, you know, having blinders on, just creating that awareness is a huge first step. That doesn't mean that it's always going to be perfect. Like I still get distracted. I still compare myself on occasion, but I'm aware of it. So now I can reel myself back in much quicker. And I think it's that turnaround time. Like if you look at successful people, they don't let, you know, just using the nutrition example, they don't let one meal turn into a bad weekend. They don't let one bad training session turn into missing the gym for a week. Like their, their turnaround time is ridiculously quick. So it may be, you know, I made a decision that I probably wouldn't have made now I'm just going to make the next decision better. And they turn it around so quickly. And I've been able to kind of build that resiliency over time where if I catch myself like questioning, what am I doing? Like I'm just, you know, I'm distracted. I'm comparing myself to somebody else. I'm able to reel it in pretty quickly and then just get back to the things that I know matter for me. Dude, I think self-awareness is probably one of the most powerful things that you can build as a human being. Like I love what you just said. And I think that really is the key. Um, there's another, I, I, there's another really good book called uh, the big leap. And it talks about, uh, I've read it multiple times. It talks about, um, uh, 
the word self-sabotage and and kind of falling into that pit you're speaking of so creating self-awareness and almost being able to like stop yourself in time and realize what you're about to do before you do it or like a path you're starting to go down before you run all the way down the hill so you can like stop and turn around right and i think that's so important dude yeah for sure um so I know we've been going for a while and we haven't even touched on like nutrition training really in depth. <laughs> so let's start with the nutrition side of things because you mentioned throughout your journey, um, you kind of got introduced to macros when you were starting to compete and like kind of changed the game for you. You got crazy shredded, but then without macros, you kind of gained a bunch of weight back and had to like learn the hard way. Um, so I know that the answer is going to be, it depends, but like, let's try and put some like some sort of parameters around it. Where do you feel like macros, like, is that something that everybody should be doing? Is like, do you think that intuitive eating is the ultimate goal? Is, is it just a process for creating awareness? Like what are your general thoughts on like where macros sit with like general population? Yeah, I think there's kind of like this, uh, this lifestyle scale. So it's kind of a range. And I, of course it depends where you fall in that range. So like, for example, like macros actually are a lifestyle dietary choice for me like it's you kind of have to almost rank it like on a scale of one to ten like how stressful is this how much is this negatively impacting your life how is this creating overwhelm or anxiety so on and so forth for me it's really not hard man like and i actually i am the type of person that enjoys having that level of control where i know that worst case i have a bad weekend i can adjust my macros and bring it back and be on point it can keep me lean it can keep me healthy it can keep me performing but i also don't go so deep that it's going to take over and i i can't let myself have a weekend off every once in a while if i want to so um for me macros that is I've, i'm already at the end goal like i'm i'm already there right for other people it's purely a tool to get you to point B. So you're at point A, point B is the result. It's literally a tool in order for us to create some kind of metric and determine how you're going to get there. Because I think a lot of people try to get by eating intuitively or ad libitum, which really is you're eating intuitively or ad libitum, basically being like at your own pleasure right now and you're not where you want to be. So obviously something needs to change. Macros are going to be a tool that allow us to take what you're doing, put a number on it, and then predict how to get to the end result. So if we can predict to the end result, it's, it's a lot easier to get you to the end result, right? It's a lot easier to create success. And we have numbers that we can adjust in order to predict changes or rebound from uh, negative feedback we've gotten, so on and so forth. So it's really just a, it's a metric. It's an analytic. It's a tool. It's, it's something that individualizes your intake. So for some people, they're on my end of the spectrum where this is a lifestyle. For some people, it's kind of periodized in and out, like they can maintain really well intuitively, but every once in a while, you know, like you're going to do a fat loss phase or you're going to want to tighten things up or you want to get big and you don't eat enough food to grow. You're going to have to implement macros because it's the same thing with like, Hey, like money's been a struggle lately. I really need to get better at saving. Okay. Well, like let's create a budget plan. No, no, no. I don't want to do that. Well, it's like, well then how the fuck are you going to save money? (laughs) Like you need to have a number attached to it. Um, so like when you decide to save money, do that. Once you get it to a point where your savings account is good, maybe you can lay off the the strict budgeting until you need to do it again. Um, and then there's other people where it's literally just a, a pit stop to provide education and awareness because the end goal is intuitive eating. And I think a lot of people like Eric Helms is a good example of this. Uh, really, really smart dude. Somebody I've learned from a ton over the years. He just did a contest prep and he did, I mean, he did multiple shows in a row, got his pro card. He ate intuitively throughout 90% of it. Like, so 
people look at that and they're like, see, you can get lean. This is again, going back to like, here's the case study or the research that showed this. Yes, you can, but you got to understand when he looks at food, he sees like macro numbers, like the matrix, like he's been tracking macros for a decade inside the natural bodybuilding space. There's no way for him to not track macros. He's really self-aware. So I think it's one of those things where like for some people, if you do really value intuitive eating and you don't like macros, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. However, if you want to change where you're at right now, you need to do something different because what you're doing right now is not working. Therefore, you need to implement macros for lack of better terms, suck it up for a little bit and get to where you want to be and then slowly reverse out of that. So some, that could be, you know, like you're not doing anything right now. So start tracking calories, then calories and protein, and then all macros, tweak those macros as much as needed over the course of three to four months, six months, however long it takes to get you to your end goal. Once you get to your end goal, maybe bring calories up. So you go through a little bit of a reverse diet so you can maintain that and then start going, okay, now I'm just going to track calories and protein. Now I'm just going to track calories. Now I'm going to track calories once a week, once a month, just to make sure I'm on point. And you teach yourself how to be intuitive throughout this process of tracking macros. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. I'm totally in agreement. And I feel like I'm just co-signing everything you say, but we have, we share a lot of the same philosophies. And for me, you know, macros is not a stress at all. It doesn't, it doesn't like, I don't even think about it at this point. It's just like second nature for other people, just like any tool, it can be used for good. And then some people can become like very obsessive about like, you know, if they're going out and they don't know the exact number of protein, fats and carbs, like they stress the fuck out. It's all of a sudden their day is ruined and they're like, you know, they, they lose that sense of control and it can cause some, you know, some um, disordered behavior patterns. But uh, I think that as far as what you talked about creating that awareness, it's such a huge step, especially now where it's really hard to just be like, hey, I'm going to listen to my, you know, satiety signals. I'm going to listen to like my hunger signals. And that's great. Everybody should absolutely try to do that. But when we when we like frame it in the aspect of like day to day life, are you really dialed in when you're like trying to get the kids off to school and you're like shoving a breakfast in your face while you're running out the door and you're late and all this stuff? Like how dialed in are you really to your hunger cues? Like it, there's just some lifestyle factors, the amount of stress, the um, the nature of like the food environment that we're in that makes it really difficult to understand those signals. And I think when you start to place some parameters around it and create that awareness through macros, now you can actually start to understand how different foods make you feel. Uh, you know, like if I you know, had a really high protein meal and I started having some like digestive issues, just as an example, you start to connect the dots, how certain foods sit with you. And then like we've been talking about throughout this whole um, conversation is like everything needs to go through that individual filter just because Eric Helms was able to eat intuitively. Like, how does that actually apply to me? So I put it through like the adherence and sustainability checklist and like, I'm probably not going to be able to do that. Um, and so I think just being able to always bring it back to that individual context is so important, but I'm, I'm totally in agreement. I think that in order to get to a place of intuitive eating, we almost have to reconnect with our bodies. And I'm talking about the vast majority of people because a lot of people today are overly stressed. They're, you know, they're running around. They have a lot of things going on. It's, it is hard to just sit down and like eat a meal in peace and really be dialed in. What do you think about that? Like, it is, man. I think, I think self-awareness and in, in, uh, a type of intuitiveness with food is actually more difficult than most people realize. For myself, I've been tracking macros for years. I've been dieting for years. I've been coaching people for years. I should be able to intuitively eat, quote unquote, but certain lifestyle factors don't allow me to truly do that. And what I mean by this is I can intuitively, like I'm really good with uh, looking at a piece of chicken, steak, whatever, and I can guess relatively close to how much that weighs. 
So I know how much protein I'm eating. It's pretty easy for me to do that. So from that sense, I'm good. However, I'm so busy during the day that I will, will not eat enough to support what I'm doing throughout the day. And I'll forget to eat. And then I'm like ravenous at night. And then I overeat because of like this, this mixed signal. Um, so for me, I have to make sure that I have a plan in the morning and the midday or else I'll just forget it. Or I'll just grab a snack and it will be so low calories that I'm just dying by the end of the day. And then to add to that, when I get done with work, it's like this big, like just cortisol drop. Cause I'm like, okay, everything's done. Just chill with my daughter. We turn on Netflix when my daughter goes to bed, I could sit there and just eat and eat and eat. I'm not hungry. <laughs> like I could just eat because intuitively I feel like eating because I like the taste of food. So I think that's like one of the biggest things is like hunger cues is more than just knowing when your body actually needs fuel. If you can be aware of that, you're pretty t- intact with your body. And I, I do believe that it's hard, harder than most people believe, but we forget about the psychological and emotional reasons people eat. And that kind of overrules all physiological processes. If you're, if your brain is emotionally and, and psychologically wanting to eat through boredom or sadness or anger, whatever it may be, you're not even going to notice your, your regular hunger cues. You're not going to notice energy, anything like that, because hormonally and and emotionally, you just want to eat. Does that make sense? hundred percent. It's so true. Uh, you know, food is more than just energy, just fuel. Like it is emotion. It is experience. It's pleasure. Like it has all these things that are a part of our day-to-day life that we can't just reduce it down to this one thing that it provides fuel for the body. Um, the other thing that you made me think of is like the fact that dieting is something that a lot of people go through multiple times. And oftentimes it's like we play this one card over and over again. It's eat less, exercise more. And we've become so accustomed to actually feeling like shit that we don't really know what feeling good feels like, if Mm. that makes sense. Like we've been dieting for and, and this was my reality. When I first, my first ever nutrition plan, it was a six week challenge. I was on 1600 calories. At that time, I was like pushing 200 pounds. And um, I got to a point where I just literally like white knuckled my way through it, even though I was constantly hungry, but I didn't care because I was just so determined to follow this plan. And like when it was actually like a best body comp challenge. So like I was literally trying to like win a prize money or whatever. And like going through that, I ended up basically living in that like restrict and binge cycle for so long that I for, I didn't know how shitty I felt until I felt better. And then I looked back, I was like, I can't believe that that was my life for so long. But I think that a lot of people go through that where your signals can, you can kind of override that. And then all of a sudden your norm is like overly stressed and low energy and not sleeping well. And you you have mood swings and your hunger's all over the place, but it's just, you become so accustomed to it. It's like your new norm, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, this is actually one of the biggest reasons why I push a lot of biofeedback with people is some people at first will give you pushback and they're like, fuck, you want me to track all these things? And I'm like, yes, because I want you to see what it feels like to thrive. Like, I want you to see what it, you should actually feel like. What should your digestion be like? What should your energy be like? How should you feel when you wake up in the morning from being uh, after being asleep? Once you start noticing all these things and your energy in the gym, like it becomes a lot easier to adhere to a plan because you're like, oh, shit this is what feeling good feels like. And granted, I, I talk about this a lot too. Like there's points in a diet where you're chasing fat loss, where you do need to white knuckle. You do need to like hunger is part of it. Like you're eating less calories. So you're literally hungry. Like it, it's okay, but smart periodization will implement periods of times where you're not. So you're not constantly like that. But my point being is like, you got to understand all these things and it takes tracking. It takes recording. And, and, 
it also takes being aware that nothing is perfect or accurate. Like you mentioned earlier, people can kind of get almost neurotic or overly obsessed with numbers. Like I had somebody, uh, I was reviewing their metric tracker and I think her calories at the moment were like 175 protein, 250 carb and 60 fat, let's say. And it was literally like on the tracker, like 175, 250, 60, 175, 250, 60. And I was like, Hey, are you, are you just like, like really close? So you're just throwing those numbers in or is like that legit? She's like, no, that's really what I end each day at. And I'm like, I think you're being a little too obsessive with the number. Like, just know that like, you're not actually getting 250 carbs because no measurement is truly accurate. Like for me to say that a four ounce piece of chicken is 26 grams of protein is false. And it sounds funny to people, but every chicken has a different amount of muscle mass and fat on it, hydration, health, vitamins, minerals. So the nutrients aren't going to be exact every time. There's literally no way for us to determine that, let alone normal food labels actually round. So like people, what I, I try to educate people on that too, because they become less obsessive because I'm like, hey, even if you are being obsessive and you're getting it down to the number, it's still not accurate. It's still not. So you being one or two grams over in fat is the same as you being exact technically. So take a chill pill, like just relax. And I think that's really important for people to hear because sometimes people get just too caught in the, the minutiae and they're majoring in the minor. And it's like, that's not going to build a physique being on 55 grams of fat versus 56. Like that's, that's not <laughs> what makes results here. Yeah. It's such an important lesson. And, you know, I think that a lot of people, it's just a, a matter of trying to be consistent versus trying to be perfect. You know, that mm -hmm. trying to be perfect, you're going to end up having a day where you slip up and you start feeling bad about yourself. And then that can lead to this like all or nothing mindset where you're either all in and you're all out. And like, you know, finding that middle ground and realizing, you know, it really is, it's an imperfect science, but it, all we care about is that we're measuring consistently through the same way. Um, so it's, it's the same thing with like body fat testing, like body fat measurements are not that accurate, but if you're, you're testing at the same thing and we see a trend, it can be one piece of data that we analyze or that can be useful in the right context. Um, so if there is like, you talked about majoring in the minors and I, I love that quote and I just that whole philosophy, like most people can do really well just focusing on the basics. So for you, like, what are those things when you're talking about purely from a nutrition standpoint, like what are you, what are like the boxes that you're checking where it's like, if we build this strong foundation, you're probably going to get like 90% of the way there. It's mm, a really good question. Um, number one is always going to be plan ahead. Um, I think too many people play this game of like macro Tetris where they're trying to like plug and play as the day goes. And you always end up at the end of the day with too little of something, too much of something. Um, so like a big fundamental for me is either the, like for me, I wake up early enough to where I have a few hours before I actually eat anything that I can do it in the morning. But for most people the night before, just plan your day. Like even if you're not tracking macros, write it down, like just go into the day knowing what you're going to eat. So there's no wiggle room around it, right? There's no margin for error. Um, so that's a huge one. I'm also a big fan of like simplifying your ingredients for 90% of the time. So like for me, I would rather, like, I know this sounds very counterintuitive to what most would preach inside of flexible dieting, but I'm a big fan of having a small list of foods for the majority of my time. If I, I, I I'm very careful with how I, uh, kind of communicate this with clients, but if they understand where I'm coming from, this works really well. And obviously I understand where I'm coming from because I've been doing this long enough. I'm not restricting myself in a sense of like, I cannot have any other food, but I personally know what foods work individually best for me. Like I know what couple carb sources really digest well for me and are, are going to feel the best in my body. They're not going to make me bloated. 
if you are less bloated, you're digesting better, you're less gassy, so on and so forth, you're probably going to absorb those nutrients better. Your performance is going to go up plain and simple. So for me, it's like, Hey, I have like a small handful of foods that I really kind of center my diet around. Like I know for me, like carb wise, like white rice is just what works really well. White rice. Like that's a staple in my diet. Blueberries and bananas staple in my diet for fruit, um, for vegetables, spinach, asparagus, and carrots. Those just are like my staples. They're very easy to digest. They're packed with micronutrients and they fill me up. Well, for meat, I'm a huge fan of steak. Steak actually digests better with me. Like I do butcher box. So we just get like a ton of steak in the mail, but that works better for me than chicken. Like I just feel better with steak and eggs than chicken. I still eat chicken. We'll eat fish every now and then we'll do some pork every now and then. But my point with this is like, I have like these like staple foods that most of my meals are going to consist of and they just work really well. They allow me to plan easier. My macros are more accurate. My energy is better. Um, kind of like, uh, taking Stan Efferding's kind of thought process on his, his is like more of a FODMAP style, but it's like, Hey, like what feels best in your body? There's nothing wrong with like, quote unquote, restricting yourself to those foods. And then just knowing that like macros rule everything. So if you want to go outside of those on occasion, do it. Like nobody's stopping you from it. But the reality is, is most successful diets come from 80 to 90% of your time being planned out pretty well, right? So for me, I stay, kind of stay in my zone of like what makes me thrive and feel good and not have brain fog, not have digestive issues. And then like tomorrow's date night, every other Thursday's date night where we get a babysitter, there's no way I'm sticking to those foods. I'm going to have a couple of drinks. We're probably going to have like a flatbread appetizer, whatever, like quote unquote flexible and that's cool. I might be bloated the next day, but it was worth it. Right. And then I'm going to go back to my foods that work for me. So I think like planning ahead, simplifying your menu. Um, those are the two biggest things, honestly. And then like, there's like a lot of little things that I think people overlook. Like a lot of people forget to drink their water, man. Like that's a, that's a big one for me. I always forget to drink my water. I'm leaner and I perform better and I feel way better when I get my water intake in. Sodium is something people oftentimes like they neglect because they think it's bad. But I have a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm getting lightheaded in my training or like I have no energy or I'm dehydrated. I'm like, hey, add some salt to your meals. And they're like, holy shit, I feel so much better. And it's like, sodium's a good thing. Like it's going to help your thyroid. It's going to help your nervous system. Like we should probably have that. Um, so there's like those little check boxes too, like the water and the sodium and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, man, I think that if, if I had to boil it down to like two big habits, it'd be simplify and just plan ahead. Yeah, for sure. It's funny that you mentioned like having those, those go-to foods. I look at it as like kind of in a similar regard, but I talk about having those go-to meals where it's like if I, like you talk about date night. So my whole thought process is if I do something like that, what's the one meal that is like my go-to meal that I'm going to follow that up with? So I'm going to go out, you know, on Friday night or whatever, and I'm going to have some pizza. Saturday, my go-to meal for me, it's usually like grass-fed beef, uh, white rice and broccoli. That's it. Like that's my go-to like get back on track meal. Sometimes it's chicken, white rice and broccoli, but pretty much like that is mm -hmm. the go-to meal that I always fall back on. And I talk to people about that. Like what is that one go-to meal when you had something that, you know, maybe you overindulged or whatever happened and you're just like not feeling great. What's that one like combination that always works for you and go with that. I think there's a mental aspect of that too. And like, so like I would actually add to my list and say a, a greens drink in the morning. And it's not because like greens powdered supplements are like unbelievably healthy or better than vegetables. Like it's not it at all. Like I find with myself and with clients, like if you start your morning with a greens drink, like something happens in your head, like you're starting your day with a healthy habit and it kind of gets you on the right foot to be like, yep, I'm going to fucking crush today with my nutrition because I started today with, I went right to my green drink. I drink 20 ounces of water with greens. Like you just, it's a placebo, but it works. So it's the same concept you're talking about. Like 
that would be another thing that I would add in is like starting your day with a healthy habit like that. Dude, setting the tone for the day is so overlooked. Like I talked about this because I struggle with it is not checking social media for at least an hour yeah. before you know after I wake up and it and it's hard because I'm like I'm ready to jump into work mode but I'm actually way more productive if I just do work and ignore what else is going on and I just sit there and I write for an hour I create content I do what needs to get done and if I'm if I'm like checking email checking social I immediately start my day on a negative tone and it it does carry over like people think that it doesn't that you can just kind of flip the switch but that shit does affect the rest of your day. So you're, you're automatically in like defensive mode or you like see a comment on social that rubs you the wrong way. You get an email that's like a negative something and you're all of a sudden like playing defense the rest of the day. Even, even if it's not negative, you, you start in a responsive state of mind and then you stay in a responder mode versus a creator mode. So I'm the same way, dude. That was like, has been a game changer for me. Um, even like before this, I, I purposely leave my house, even though I have this nice little office, I go to the coffee shop. I put my phone on do not serve. I put it in my backpack. All notifications are off on my uh, computer. I don't have iMessage on or anything. And I just open Google doc and I write and I wrote for two hours straight and I didn't check anything, but it's because I have to go out of my way to turn off all notifications, like put it on, do not disturb and do all those things. And I do it in the morning too. It's, it's such a game changer. Like highly recommend this book for you, man. Um, and anybody who wants to be super productive, it's called uh, deep work by Cal Newport. And they talk about like some like legit research that shows like basically isolating yourself for better productivity and how important it is to do things like you're saying, like ignore these other correspondence first thing in the morning and stuff dude it's it's such a game changer i'm definitely going to check out that book and i just saw a, a recent study um i love to just learn about the brain and like how that works and one of the study basically compared when you are working and you distract yourself with your phone and then go back to work if the productivity suffers versus if you're working you take a break to like have a cup of coffee and then go back to work um and it showed that checking your phone and then going back to work productivity suffered a lot more, like significantly more than just having like a cup of coffee. And then they did the same test on students and showed that they performed worse on tests if they took a break in the middle to check their phones versus just taking a break to like, you know, whatever it was, it was like a five minute break where they weren't working on the test, but they weren't distracted by their phone. Coming back to work, they scored higher. So like, it actually makes a huge difference when, when you just, you know, having parameters around. I think that's like the next big challenge that we have in the health space in general is like yeah. our relationship with, with technology. It's so hard, dude. That's the, that's the tough part. It's everywhere, but it's, it, it's so helpful, but it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, we went through this shift where, you know, the food environment changed like pretty rapidly where food is readily available. The way that it was designed and engineered completely changed the, like, you know, basically it was like going from, having to hunt and gather to now being able to stroll the supermarket and have just an abundance of calories at your disposal. And so like creating things like tracking macros and, you know, parameters around your relationship with food became necessary because it almost like eliminated the intuitive eating process or having to relearn it. And I think that technology we're up against kind of that same transition now where it just like came, it came on so fast and we haven't really had time to adapt and like setting parameters around that is kind of the next big challenge in my opinion. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. Um, so I want to respect your time because we've been going for a while and we haven't even gotten into the training. So what I'm going to say is that 
we just leave that for a second episode and I'll get you back on and we'll have a whole episode about training because I'd love to pick your brain and just um, you've designed some amazing programs. You just launched another one, which I picked up um, the built for you ebook and I'm, I haven't actually like dove into it yet, but I'm excited um, to see what you've come up with. And um, I've had I've grabbed some of your programs in the past. and It's always like just top notch. And I, I'm always impressed when. People can, I, I find for me the challenge is like, because we know how much individual variance there is, programming for a large audience is such a challenge. Like, I don't know if you're the same way, but like I play mind games with myself when I'm doing that. Like, who does this for? What does this apply to? So um, we're going to have to do a whole follow-up episode just on the training side of things. Dude, I'm down. I love diving into training, so I'd be totally down to come back on and do that. I think it, it, the the individual piece for me is really tough too. That's why like I, I people ask about my eBooks and I try to push them into the membership site. Cause I'm like, I program, but then also include like, here's the exercise, but here's the movement pattern. And here's substitutions for that. PS tag me in a comment and ask me. So like, there's like, you know what I mean? Cause like I, you can't, I can't program for every single person I come in touch with. Cause it's just, I would have too many clients. I wouldn't have time to do anything else. So created the membership site but that allowed me to teach people like, hey, like we're really focusing on movement patterns and variations of those movement patterns. And then the equipment you use, the style of doing it, the intensity, the rep range, all those things can kind of change depending on what we're focusing on. And this is how you do that. And that's what I try to do with Built For You, man. Like once you dig into it, you'll really like it because before you even get to the program, there's a chapter on volume. There's a chapter on intensity. There's a chapter on variation. It's like, let me teach you why these things matter to show you that a lunge is a lunge. I don't care if you're front racked, back racked, side loaded carry, deficit, forward, reverse, split squat, Bulgarian. Like, There's a million unilateral versions we can do to pre- predominantly work the quad. And there's reasons to choose each one. There's reasons to load it in certain patterns. If you can learn that side of education, training individuality becomes a lot easier and more productive. Um, so in Built For You, like I explain that process. And then there's even like cool drop down menus where it's like, okay. And I tried to teach people this. So it's like, it's, it doesn't say lunge three sets of eight. It says unilateral quad dominant three sets of eight. Click the drop down menu and I'm going to give you six examples. Choose what works best for your biomechanics with the equipment you have available and what you feel work your muscles the best. You know what I mean? So um, I took a unique approach and I really went with the education side of things. But I hope people, my goal with it was kind of like you were talking about off air with the neurotyping. It's like, let me teach you how to be your own coach. Like that's the goal here. Like let me show you how to do this yourself so you don't rely on ebooks forever, right? Which granted, like I want people to buy my ebooks and pay for coaching and stuff. Don't get me wrong, but um, I want to teach people the process. Cause even if I know for me, like I know the ins and outs of things, I don't do my, I have somebody that does my training and I have another person that does my nutrition. Do I need that? No, but it's accountability and it's a different perspective. And it's somebody that's going to challenge me to do better. So even though I know everything I need to know, quote unquote, which is not true, there's always more to know, I still, look for resources. So I'm, I'm trying to educate people so they can kind of understand better. But obviously, I still think people need coaches, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 100%. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Like I, I literally say that all the time. I'm like, then it just becomes a personal choice. Like You don't feel like you're dependent on a coach. Or you're lost and you need this coach to like pull you out of the dark. It's like all of a sudden you feel empowered. And now you have a coach because you know that it's better to be accountable to somebody else, that you're going to show up for somebody else other than yourself each day. Um, and you continue to learn more. So that's the other thing yeah. about me. Like I love having a coach because I know that also when it's yourself, sometimes we like ignore some of the obvious signs. Like it's hard to be totally objective when I'm talking about myself. So having like an objective set of eyes 
helps me. And then it also points me in direction for more learning opportunities, but totally agree. And I'm super excited to just jump into that because I love that structure and being able to apply it to yourself. And it just makes training more fun. I find like when you know why you're doing something, it's the same thing with nutrition. Like anybody can hit numbers, but if there's no meaning behind the numbers, like what are you even doing? And it's kind of the same thing. Like if you're just following movement patterns, you don't really actually know what you're doing. I think that what you're doing is kind of bridging that gap and providing that education where training all of a sudden becomes more meaningful, more intentional, and like you actually get more out of it. And I would argue that probably the biggest, I would, I don't want to say like the limiting factor for most people, but it's definitely up there is not training with the proper intent. Like you're just going through the movements versus intentionally training, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's a whole section I wrote about like execution and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of goes back to the intent. Like, not only from a knowledge perspective, why are you doing this? But like during the actual process, how are you doing this? Um, and it's, and it's funny that things kind of circle, but I think everything you just said kind of circles back in and leads to the point of that adaptation that I talked about earlier. Like if you believe in the process, you educate yourself in the process, if you kind of get yourself ingrained in the process and your intent and all these things, all of a sudden that whole like patience to watch adaptation happen it makes a lot more sense and it becomes a lot easier to be patient with it because you know why you have to be patient for the adaptation to recur. So it's not a struggle. You're not trying to program hop because you understand like you're actually excited, like, man, this is going to work soon, but I have to do all these little steps along the way. Yeah. That's a perfect spot to wrap up. I love that. Um, literally puts a bow on it. So tell everybody where they can get your ebook, where they can connect with you. Um, highly recommend everybody follow Cody Dude puts out more content than anybody. Like you could literally transform your life just off of the free content that Cody puts out. So um, give yourself a shout. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, man. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate that. And, and it's actually funny. I uh, So I just finally created a Boom Boom Performance Instagram. So it's at Boom Boom Performance underscore. The first testimonial I, create, uh, I put on there before and after was a guy and he wrote, I... I did this based on your content. I've never even coached him before. And he sent me a before. I was the coolest fucking thing. Um, but team Instagram is at boom, boom, performance underscore. My personal Instagram is at Cody boom, boom. Um, and then everything else can be found on boom, boom, performance.com. That's where we have our eBooks and, uh, coaching obviously, but the podcast and blogs and just tons of free information. So everything is boom, boom performance. Awesome. So I, uh, I'm looking forward to connecting with you again soon, uh, in Arizona and, uh, Yeah, man, I just want to say appreciate you coming on and appreciate all the work that you do. Absolutely, man. Thank you. All right, take care.